Welcome back to Geek Life, the indie comics podcast on Pandamanga.com. I'm your host, JP. As always with me is my fearless co-host, Marcus. Supporting indie comics like a Wonder Brawl holding up some double Ds, so not really then. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure where you were going with that. That was just a stream of mine. I was like, oh, let's see, what can we say? Uh, Well, there's boobs. That's always good. Let's throw some of those in there. (laughs) Back with us again, we have the original co-host, The Brian. I have no way to follow that up. I know, right? Brian's actually turned bright red because he's he's he's, he's a fan a... of the Double D's. <laughs> yeah, who isn't? <laughs> all right, all right. Today we're talking about Long John by D. Bethel. You can follow along with us at longjohncomic.com, spelt just the way it sounds. We'll go ahead and start off by reading a little bit from the About page. Long John Walker was known as the most deadly gunfighter in California. His nickname comes from the fact that he could hit a target at rifle distance with his standard Colt Model P revolver. He was a gun for hire that was known for his stoic, detached demeanor and a stare as piercing as his bullets. He gained his fame from traveling with the Johns, a group of bounty hunters who roamed eastern California and western Nevada and were incredibly successful at what they did. Long John was the face of the group, a living wall of intimidation and quiet confidence. He cast a pile over any town he walked into through his piercing stare alone, though it was backed by his gun hand's deadly accuracy. Juan John Velasquez was the brains of the group. Born on the coast of California, he could talk his way out of and into any situation and was equally deadly at close range. Johnny Mono was the legs of the group. Born in the Mono tribe, his given name translates roughly to floating feather. He was given the name Johnny Mono by Juan John to keep with the theme. He knows how to survive in the wild alone and keeps the group uprooted enough to be able to get the amount of jobs they do. They were destined for immortality in the dime novels to survive as the most legendary gunslinging group in history. But something changed. One morning on the edge of Mono Lake in the Eastern Sierra, Long John awakens to find himself with nothing but his Long Johns, a head wound, and no friends in sight, left to die of exposure with no answers and at the mercy of a mysterious rider. That very well sums up way more than we got to see in the comic. This first issue does a really great job of introducing Long John and a little bit of intrigue and totally leaves you, it left me just like salivating for more story. I really like D. Bethel's work. I really enjoyed the, he was the artist and I think co-writer, co-writer yes. for... Ebeno 7, which you can find at Ebeno 7, that's E-B-E-N-0-7.com. And we did a series of podcasts going through each of their issues some time ago. Episode 27, 28, and 30. Well, bam, the brand And also again. 20 was the first time we ever reviewed it, but that was in a paperback <laughs> form instead of digital. Like a boss, Brian comes through again. <laughs> a little about D. Bethel. He was born and raised in San Luis Obispo, California, but has lived all over the place. He happily resides in Sacramento, California with his wife, Nicole, and teaches writing and rhetoric at CSU Sacramento and the Art Institute of California, Sacramento. All right, now on to Long John. Again, you can find Long John at longjohncomic.com and read along with us. And we highly recommend that you do. I haven't really talked to the guys yet about their takes from the comic. We tend to try and avoid that so that we don't ruin anything of our conversation, try and get candid reactions uh, we call yes. it Save It for the Podcast. SFTP. But at the same time, I have a sneaking suspicion that you guys probably enjoyed it. Because I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I thought that it was, you know, I thought that it was good overall. And, you know, it's not not a perfect comic, of course, just like anything is. But I enjoyed it. I thought it was a good comic. Well, okay, first I have some biases going into it. I don't like westerns. And we keep reviewing westerns. I should we'll try and find a westerns. western for next week just to mess with you. Just to mess with me. Uh, I don't like westerns. I'm not always a fan of slow pacing. I like I like action. I like the story to get going, and this is very has some slow pacing, especially in the beginning when he's when he's waking up uh, stranded in the desert with a totally, mysterious totally. figure. It was like I, the Hell Rider, right? Is who he yeah, which was a great design. It was what really, a cool really character design! Awesome, awesome design. Shit. Yeah, um, I like you know an element of of the supernatural, and there's not a whole lot of that in here. So there there's a, is supposedly there's like little or no supernatural. This is yeah. supposed to be a pretty much straight up serious western. So there's a lot of things. Oh, and then the fact that the, the line work is very much so. It looks like line work in that there's it's not very sketchy. There's not a whole lot of extra detail. It's I I feel like the it's it does most of the artwork with lines filled in with uh, with grays. Um, 
All of that being said, I love this comic. Um, <laughs> I wanted to surprise you. I was like, I'm leaving you did. Up. You surprised me. I was, I was like, oh, no, like, he oh didn't Marcus like it. hates it. No, no, no. I really, really, really enjoyed this comic. I knocked it out in about like 20 minutes. It's not, it's not long as a read because there's not a lot of text. I mean, in the first easy five to 10 pages have like eight words. I mean, it's very little. So, I mean, just addressing the things that I, that I was saying before the, the Western side of things, it, it didn't, I don't know. It, it didn't feel like a, dr- this is a weird saying, but it didn't feel like a dry Western. It felt like it had a rich story and it wasn't boring, which is what I feel like happens a lot of times when I read stuff that's Western. It just gets very period and I kind of dry out five pages in and this actually kept me engaged like pretty much the whole way through. I liked how this issue went. And of course, we're just going to start talking about the story because that's how we start here on the Geek Life podcast. We'll talk mostly about the writing and then compartmentalize our, our uh, the art side of things afterwards. So sticking mostly talking about the the writing, I agree with you. I liked this a lot more than I was expecting based on the premise. I enjoy Westerns just fine. It's not necessarily, you know, something that as soon as a Western comes out, oh, I got to go see that. But I do, I do, I don't really have a negative bias against Westerns. I grew up, my family's, you know, got a lot of, you know, history with, you know, the ranch and, you know, Wild West cowboy sort of business. So I'm, I'm familiar with that. I grew up around culture that appreciates that. And so I, and so I have a a little bit of a sort of nostalgia factor with, with the Wild West stuff. Uh, But anyway, I actually really enjoyed this one a lot. And I think the reason for me that jumped out right away was that they were willing to take the time that... Bethel was willing to take the time necessary to really introduce us to John and have some humor, some character, some character development. He really, this, this first issue just knocks that out of the park as a first issue. It oh, doesn't have any yes. of that first issue. I just no talked about so much at the time. One. You know, Bethel has really developed his writing craft and developed his art to the point where you can get in and just submit yourself to reading the story and not have to do a lot of work as a reader, which is kind of awesome. If you can really just relax into the story and just be taken by it. And that's what I found myself doing. I liked how he used, and we'll talk more about this when we get into the art, but I liked how he used visual storytelling almost exclusively for the first several pages. I was going to say just that, you know, it's something that I can always admire in someone is is someone who can tell a story without any dialogue. And he, he pulled it off really, really well. Absolutely. Now that's not to say that he does the whole book. Like that. There's still no, no, no. lots of information and, 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 you know, good, great dialogue. I love the conversation between Long John and the sheriff and this in this town that's totally not really run by the law. And the sheriff is just kind of stuck having to submit to these local gangsters and gunslingers that have just basically taken over run of the town. And but he's still he's still a good guy. You know, he's not a corrupt police officer. He's just a police officer put into or a sheriff put into a miserable situation. And he says something along the lines of, you know, if I can't, because he ends up trying to help John. And he says, you know, in the end, you know, if I can't protect the town from people, then I can protect people from the town. Which is an awesome Which, one. I mean, line. what great a good line, line right? It's so great. But I mean, just just a little bit. And it's, it's, Bethel takes time. He takes the time to introduce John. He takes the time to have a little flavor about the way he's interacting with people, some physical comedy about him getting kicked out of the saloon some conversations back and forth. And he really makes us wait until almost the end of the issue to really see that payoff of, oh, he is Long John Walker, the badass gunfighter. Look at what he just did with a gun. Holy crap. He makes us wait, but he still, he kind of dangles the carrot of like, ooh, Long John Walker, famous, most best gun guy, famous and best gunslinger in California, you know. Famous most best gun guy. I'm cutting I think that out. Shut up. No, no, no. Famous most best gun guy. We're using that. We have to. I think oh. I'm just going to use that in anything where there is a gun from yeah. now on. Oh, that is the most famous best most gun best guy. gun guy. God damn it. So good. Uh-huh. On this page. Um, you know, he did something that normally uh, in is a symptom of uh, first issueitis that um, I st- usually steer away from where they have a, almost a monologue where they tell about the person mm-hmm. where they, as, as, a, as a means to introduce it. But he does it in a way that it really feels natural, which is something that, you know, I, I commend him on because all of his dialogue, something that I commend him on because all of his dialogue feels natural. Oh, and absolutely. It, it shows when he's introducing, uh, when he's 
uh, introducing to the audience who Long John is, you know, what his past is, about his history, all and in that one little It's not Long John really speech. talking about it, right? No, it's, it's, other people it's, in it's, town. it's the guy who's, he says he's Long John, and then he's like, the Long John that did this, the Long John that is rumored to do that. And he goes on a little rant about his reputation of Long John. He's like, I don't think you're actually Long John. But it was an interesting way of getting all the information out without being like, I... Long John Walker, I'm a cowboy who and can who have shoot done this and have yeah. done this. And I I'm Long John Walker. This. You may remember me from <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's a way that it feels a lot of times when you're reading issues yeah. that suffer from first issue issueitis is that they're trying too hard to introduce aspects of their character that they haven't told throughout storytelling, visual storytelling, or or you know a, a issue zero or a past issue. And so this was able to get all the information out, and it felt natural. It felt like totally. a really really great confrontation scene that would have you know could have happened um i mean it he created masterfully really a situation that would reasonably allow that information to come to light in conversation and it, it was natural it wasn't forced mm -hmm. but at the same time as the reader we're not familiar with this world these characters we're assuming a certain set of truths coming into it as he's defined things moving forward we haven't seen anything supernatural yet we haven't seen anything, you know, you know, death defying or crazy. We haven't really seen much of a lot of the sort of truths of this world. But at this point, we're, we're kind of in the baby stages of the story and we're assuming that it's basically a world that we would recognize. Basically, your your standard nonfiction type Western world. Right. And, you know, in that world, there was, you know, definitely one of the sort of the mystique of that is is reputation. You know, and you, you always hear and see in the good Westerns, you know, somebody is, you know, doing this or that. And they're like, oh, you're that guy, you know, because it West, because it's really it seems like you can get away with having a reputation and having done a lot of crazy things, but people not being really familiar with what you look like because the just the connectivity in the media and the, and the telecommunications isn't like it is now. And so I think that's one of the funnest things is, is that you get that reveal of, holy shit, this is that person. You know, and he did a really good job of doing that and created a very organic and natural situation where people who would be in the know of who this guy is see him and go, you're not that guy. You you did this? Yeah, right. Oh, and, uh, the guy that did that. Uh-huh. Okay, sure. They created just such a great opportunity. Bethel did a great job of introducing this character, and the character himself doesn't do any of the introducing. Exactly. It's the people around him, and they do it in this weird backwards way of basically accusing him of lying about who he is and going, oh, oh, you, you're, you're the Long John that did this. Oh, oh, you're the Long John that's famous for that. Bullshit. Sure, buddy. Yeah, sure. sure, buddy. And, and so the whole time, we as the, as the viewer, the reader, we're, we're assimilating all this information and we're getting kind of satisfied with our curiosity, but there, he's doing it in a way that's not lame. Exactly. Because we want, because we're such, the scientific term for it. It's right, just well, lame. It's just, well, I mean, that's the thing that's so interesting about this, because we've talked about this recently, and I think that that it's interesting that viewers are such a fickle mistress. Us as readers, we're such we're so fickle because we want the information, but they we don't want him to spoon feed it to us. Exactly. And the moment that he gives us the information without you know, just just without pomp and circumstance, just throws it in our lap and goes, well, here you go. We go like, well, I didn't want it that way. Give it to me a cool way. I make it. I make that voice every time, too. You do. <laughs> and it's just it's just so cool that he he, he indulged our whiny bitchery <laughs> and basically gave also us what we a really scientific wanted. Turn. <laughs> whiny bitchery. Definitely. Um, but he did. He, he, he indulged us. He indulged the, the reader. He knows what we want. He gave it to us in an interesting way and satisfied that need to know, but didn't break that suspension of disbelief of being there in the story. Because, I, I mean, when I'm reading something or watching something, I, I, I just let myself get enveloped in it and sucked in. And there was nothing that really brought me out of the story. I sat down to read this, and you know, 20 minutes later, 20 minutes to a half hour later, I was done, and it was kind of like, oh, it's over? Like, I just got gobbled up into the story. Oh, for sure. And I mean, that's, that is, for me, one Success. of the signs of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. of a good comic, is yeah. that, like, it doesn't feel like you're having to push through it. Absolutely. It was like, it was done, you know, before I knew it, and then with the last, I don't want to get into the art much, art too much, but with the last splash page, it was just like, oh, I need more of that. Oh, I know, right? So good. Uh, <laughs> See, Talk about a, a book that leaves you just hungry for the next one. 
Now, for the readers, I'm just going to tell you this right now. Just read through the first issue without going through the notes on the bottom. I did that. There are a lot of notes. There's great information in there. Yeah, but it's but a it's, lot. It, it's a lot, and thus it slows the pace of your reading down, and it just feels... Well, it, it works really good if you have been reading this all along, because yes. the releases were a couple times a week, I want to say, pretty frequently for a webcomic, but at the same time, it's not like you can just flip to the next page and see what's happening right now. You don't get that instant gratification when you're doing webcomic, and so... Bethel did, again, another very good job of giving us more to indulge into and read and, and, and soak up more curiosity and information, and soak up more information and sate that curiosity that we have about a comic that really is very cool, especially for those first couple pages that don't really have a lot of dialogue, that it's like, wow, this is really pretty, because I can remember looking at this when it first came out and seeing some of the, some of the work, and it was right to the first point where he was having the conversation with the Hellwriter. Which there's absolutely no information about where this is going to, up to and through that conversation. We don't really get our, you know, into the meat of what Long John, who Long John Walker is, that he is Long John Walker, anything until he's having a conversation with these, you know, bandit type guys in the town, these outlaws. So as I was reading that when it was first coming out, I was really glad that there was all that information because I was like, this is really great art. I really like D. Bethel's work. I'm in. I'm in it. Let's do this. And each time a page came out and I went back to read, I would, you know, probably miss a page or two. And then I would go back and read it. And then be like when it was done, it was kind of like, oh, there's nothing more to read. But there is. And I would go down and read more. So anyway, sorry to jump hijack your thoughts. Well, that's so. quite all right. It actually leads into something else uh, as far as information goes. There was something else that I noticed because Bethel did it on the Ebon07 website, uh, which is... Oh, if you're using the, Im a, the image using tag, computer, mouse over, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He was using the title tags to put in little information and bits, and some of them relate to the story. Some of them are just, you know, things about his personal life. Some of them are really funny. Some of them are just like, what? Some of them, they're the kind of things that an artist would say at a table. If you were at some convention and they were sitting there at an exhibitor table and you were thumbing through and you go, oh, that's a great page. You know, if I was looking through your book and I saw a particular page and thought, wow, that's really cool. The sort of things that you get from mousing over the image on this website is the sort of thing that would come tumbling out of Marcus's mouth. If I said, hey, this is a really cool page, you go, oh, yeah, that one was really this, or I had to work really hard, or, man, I was getting tired of drawing, you know, it's like the little behind-the-scenes sort of tidbits that is part of the greatest piece of going and meeting someone live like that, is that you get that sort of candid, you know, moment-to-moment -moment experience, experiential thought. You know, it's like, oh, this is what it was like to do this page, or here's what was happening in my life when I was doing that, or whatever. So it's it's another layer to dig deeper. I love that. And yeah. now it will be like a a, a piece of a web comic history that you can't really duplicate in in any other form. Yeah, there of really it. isn't you know, yeah. a, a solid paperback. Um, you're not going to get that information in, and even you know, even going to a con and meeting the artist face to face, you'd have to ha open it up in front of them and. What about this panel? What anything anything special about this? You know, so like it's just something special that that web comics is is providing the viewer that they couldn't get elsewhere. Yeah, we talk a lot about, especially John Harder from Waterfront Comics and WaterfrontComics.com and the Four J's in a Comic Podcast. He's from a lot of things. He often complains that he hates having to read web comics specifically because of the load times. Where he's used to, I mean, he's sitting in a comic book shop surrounded by mountains of comics. I mean, sorry, beautifully, magnificently curated uh, walls of comics. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and he and he, he could just flip through them. And that's the rhythm and the pace that we're all used to, reading comics by hand. And so you go online, and even if it's all done, even if you, you're jumping into Long John right now on longjohncomic.com, you still have to wait for the page to load, just like anything else. And that little delay as as seemingly like eh as it is for us that we you know spend time on the internet we're used to how long pages load and it's kind of like whatever it's part of the process but for someone who's reading comic books and you're there to read the comic it's kind of like oh hurry up it don't it's uh, it's just a page but you know really i think that's probably one of the only real problems with reading web comics cuz web comics have you know a website 
wrapper around the picture that you can have a blog post talking about what's going on, where you're headed, that what's happening in this page, little insights into the story, insights into the character, insights into the art process, little funny tidbits like the image tag mouse over. I mean, there's just so much opportunity for more information than there is in just a book that I think in some ways it's a it's an even better way to enjoy a comic. It's almost like the director's cut. Yeah. Sometimes. There was only really once that I've seen it in a comic, and that was in the collector's edition of the uh, Dragon Age comics, because in those, they actually had on the sides of the pages, they had space for the writer, the artist, the guy who transferred the script into a comic book format, and either the colorist or the tonist to put information in. So you would get like these little anecdotes on the side. And sometimes you'd have like conversations back and forth between a couple of them about that specific page. You are such a biotard, man. Big time. Big (laughs) time. Only a biotard would be like, well, you know, I got the collector's edition of a comic book tie-in of a video game. Well, here's the thing. The only reason that I actually bothered to buy it was because because you love all things Bioware because you're a biotard. No, that wasn't the reason. That was only half the reason. But the bigger reason of the two halves (laughs) is... Uh, Wait, what? (laughs) Exactly. 50% of the time works every time. Deal with it. Continue. (laughs) So really the main reason that I bought it was that I heard about the fact that the artist and writer had notes on the actual pages themselves. And that was the only reason that I bought it. I was like, that sounds cool. I'm going to get it for that reason. And and actually, you know, broadly speaking, comic book wise, it's one of the reasons why people that wait for trade paperbacks are missing out. People that actually take the time to go in and get the individual issues, you get back matter. You get letter columns answered by the writer or the artist or sometimes both. And then little tidbits and blog post type things, little articles almost size um, that are just letters, open letters to the readers talking about where they are in the comic, what's going on, you know, teasing things that are coming next, sort of like the little blog posts beneath the webcomic, except... You know, it's some famous person, you know, even if you're talking about the sort of more independent uh, creator owned comics, those guys are still like bad, crazy famous in the comic book world. And so it's kind of neat to have this, you know, celebrity comic book artist or writer actually take the time to answer letters and write, you know, a little little post of some kind to us in the back of the comics. And and those things, you know, maybe some of them are saved, but especially the letters, they're not saved in the trade paperback. Trade paperback's going to have, you know, maybe a statement from them or maybe some concept art, which is great also, but it's kind of awesome for the person who's really, really, really into a particular comic book to actually have the issues. So anyway, a little side note there, because I know a lot of people are very much fans of like, oh, I'll wait for the trade paperback. I'll trade weight. That's the, the cool term. I'll uh, trade weight. I'll trade weight. I'll trade weight. And I'm it's a like, trade I, waiter. I get it. And I do that. I trade weight on something. When I'm buying too many comics that day and something new comes out and I'll be like, I'll trade weight. <laughs> but the problem is, is that you start trade waiting and then you get kind of locked into trade waiting because when a trade paper come back comes out, typically you can't buy the next issue after that trade paperback because it's already out of print by the time the trade comes out. So you're kind of stuck trade paperback waiting. And so if you actually buckle down and get the issues, which believe me is not convenient, but it is kind of great to have all that extra information. So. Not only that, but having to wait for however long before the next trade comes out. I'm reading Saga and Trades, and it's killing me that there's oh, right, issues. Oh, right, because you have to wait really long. Upon issues upon issues Because, I mean, out. the issues contained in your trade paperback are probably already out. Oh, They're yeah. just getting the trade paperback itself ready. Yeah. <laughs> you I won't ruin it for you, don't worry. Not only that, but I'm reading the Trades of Saga, and I'm reading the hardback collections of The Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> and those come so out like once a year over. maybe <laughs> and it takes so long so you basically you get the new trade for your, your new hardback trade for walking dead and then you're like leave me alone for a day i'm done i guess I, I yeah do. i get the, the hardback for the walking dead and i'm like let me see if i can catch up to the show now you, you like you, you light some candles <laughs> yeah, you turn exactly. on some barry manilow you sit down on your boxers and you peel that thing open and just Go to town. Yeah, a little bit at a time. A little bit at a time. <laughs> Just the tip. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good Lord. That's like our version of, um, that's what she said. That's like, that's what she we said. look for just the tip opportunities everywhere. 
Anyway. We're horrible people. We are horrible people. Okay, well, we've talked a lot about the, the writing. Does anybody have any final thoughts about the writing before we take a quick break and then jump back in? There was one section of, of small confusion for me. And when I say that, I, I want to emphasize that this is going to be one of those comics that I enjoyed so much that anything that I throw out there that's negative is really getting nitpicky at this point. Um, that being said, there's a section where... Uh, the two antagonists are talking and their interchanging of their names. I couldn't tell whose name was what. Sure. And not that I, you know, I would have done it any differently. He definitely had an idea of how he wanted them to talk and how he wanted them to refer to themselves sometimes in the third person. But it was a little confusing for me, you know, on the slower side of things. So just, you know, be wary that uh, that happened, but it's still an amazing story. As and it becomes goes. clear by the time you're done with the comic. Yeah, who's who? But you know that pa- reading that page at that moment, it can be a little bit like, wait, who's talking and who, who's? And you know, anytime I have to stop and go back and read a page, is like, oh, well, there's, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would say that there's some of the dialogue and the balloons layout is a little bit confusing. You know, when you have a character who's not close enough to the actual. To the actual dialogue, you know, balloons. A lot of the time, you'll just leave the little tail off that's aiming at them and just kind of say, like, well, it's obvious. There's two people talking. Whoever doesn't have the little tail pointing to them, that's who's talking right now. And, um, you know, but, and he used that technique here and there, but there were some kind of more complex layouts that were a little bit... It took a little bit for me to kind of go, oh, okay, here, here's, here's who's talking. Which isn't... It is not good. And, you know, dialogue should just be like like mindless just read it and assume this you know like it should be really you shouldn't have to think about who's who and who's exactly. you know what who, what dialogue belongs to who that's not something you want but again it happened like on two pages maybe so yeah you're right it's probably I mean, one of the things that could nit, could be nitpicked a little bit that's not even so much a story thing because it really has to do with no that's that's the, that's like a letter thing that's a letter thing which yeah. is a perfect segue going from talking about the story of long john into the artwork after a short musical break yes we'll be back after a short musical break you're listening to geek live stick with us Welcome back to Geek Life, the Indie Comics Podcast on Pandamega.com. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I don't know. Pandamega.com. All right. So Pandamanga. before we continue with the story, com. I would like to share with you guys a little recommendation on Audible. The Geek Life Podcast is sponsored by Audible. You can go to audibletrial.com forward slash geek life and get a free audiobook download and try one month of their excellent service. For that whole month, not only do you get that one free download, but you get 30% off of their insanely huge catalog of all kinds of cool stuff. The recommendation I have for you this week is for uh, those cheapskates like me that like to get as much out of their credit as possible. And uh, this is a Stephen King novel. Probably shouldn't surprise anybody because Stephen King is sort of long-winded, famously so. Anyway, so I checked out The Stand by Stephen King, which is widely considered one of his better novels. And the one that I purchased in particular was the uh, like extended director's a cut kind of edition. So it had a little bit extra. So it was even longer. Yay! Yay! More bang for my buck. Anyway, it was a really fun com- comic. It was a really fun book and I would highly recommend it. I don't know if it would be the best place to start reading Stephen King if you've never read him before, which is what happened to me. I mean, especially because the version they have on there is a little bit even kind of longer and more ponderous than the first one was, which it, there was complaints about that. I understand from you know, book reviewers and things like that back then. 
But this is really this edition is really for someone who, you know, is a, a fan of the book and would like to kind of know a little bit more or already like Stephen King and is willing to kind of hang in there for a little bit of the lulls or for someone who wants just a ton of time for that one credit, which is me. <laughs> but anyway, it was a really interesting story. I liked it quite a bit, actually. And I found myself, even as I was kind of going like, man, when are we going to get to blah, whatever it was that I assumed should be happening now, instead of letting the person who's like a freaking super famous author just do his thing. I, <laughs> what an you, asshole. You'll find that. You know, it's, I'm just kind of like, like, man, why isn't he doing what I want to do right now? Because I know everything. Why aren't the strippers there yet? Where are more strippers? <laughs> Come on. Like yeah. Anyway, you can't see him anyway. I found, no I, I found, I found myself like really, really caring about the characters, which I think is something that is unique to Stephen King's work. He does a good damn job of making the characters really tangible and making you give a shit about the characters or really hate the characters. Like he does a really good job of painting a very clear picture in your mind. And that's exactly what happened here. And the story is like, it's long, it's expansive. There's a lot of story before the plague that basically like the super flu that just wipes out mostly everybody. And the only people that are left are people that are just naturally immune to it. And it's the story of those people through the early parts of the, you know, basically global outbreak that just murders everybody coming together and trying to find a new normal. And then the only thing that I would say was a little confusing to me was, and something to know going into this is that there is an element of the supernatural in this book. And for the first, like, oh, I don't know, almost half of the book, it's kind of like, is there anything supernatural going on? And then like, at some point, the the story itself kind of rips its mask off and goes, blah, supernatural. <laughs> and so for me, it was kind of like, wait, what? Because for me, it, it's very jarring when they change their like, like, there seems to be a very clearly defined set of truths. This is the world. This is the mechanics of the world. This is what is and is not possible. And then later on in the story, they're kind of like, just kidding. And they change it all. That was a little bit weird. So no going into this, that there is an element of the supernatural and it's coming, but it takes a while to get there. In Malaman issue six, I transitioned it into an autobiography. Yeah, see, you're a jerk. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, anyway, anybody that's interested in in a good story, anybody that's interested in a good long audiobook, good bang for your not buck, but good bang for your credit, credit. Uh, then absolutely check out The Stand by Stephen King. It was really, really excellent. Excellent. And and to follow up something that we recommended earlier, I actually went ahead and got the fully voiced or fully casted version of American Gods by Neil Gaiman, and I'm not going to list the cast because literally every character has a different voice actor, that was recommended uh, a while back by Brian. It's good. <laughs> it's a real good book, and I'm enjoying it thoroughly, and that is full of supernatural fun stuff, and if you have any passing interest in mythology, gods from basically any pantheon, they're probably going to show up in some cool, sneaky, interesting way. And I find that anything that I brought into the story, knowledge-wise, of that, of like mythology, Norse mythology, Indian mythology, you know, Hindu, it doesn't, anything, inevitably something comes up and I'm like, wait, that, they're talking about this person. And it's like, oh, that's who it is. So it's like, it's really a very cool book and very well written. So both of those are good to check out. But this time I'm specifically recommending... The Stand by Stephen King, which you can get on Audible for free at audibletrial.com forward slash geeklife. Getting back to this comic of the day, Long John by D. Bethel. So we've talked about the story. Let's talk about the art. What did you guys think about the art? Well, like I said earlier, um, it's bullshit. Well, why'd you go to old <laughs> Boston on us? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so no, I, I heard good. I heard somewhere, I can't remember. Oh, you know what? It was on the TV show uh, Once Upon a Time. The little boy says the line that Freud says that when you don't like something about somebody, it is a reflection of something you don't like about yourself. And one of those things that I don't like about myself is that I'm extremely lazy. And sometimes you can tell in the artwork of Malaman because I leave a lot of negative space and I don't do a lot of backgrounds. And I liked that the artwork in Longjong was also extremely simple, uh, not super hyper complex background and detailed, but still did a lot with a little a little bit of lines. I mean, it's mostly like thin line work. Uh, I don't remember. It's all microns. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I, remember actually, a lot of wine pages. I can't remember which one, but D. Bethel talks about the fact he's like, yeah, I'm known as being a lazy artist. So, <laughs> yeah, right I like you, sir. I can remember talking to him about, you know, what his art habits were. And he's like, I pretty much only draw if I'm drawing comics like elsewise. I don't really draw as only whenever I have a project, I'll be drawing all the time. But I and, and even then it's like I don't draw other things. I just draw the, the comic. Nice. Uh, so I can appreciate the fact that he did what I do, but better. <laughs> you know, he used simple flat grays to have different uh, layers to scenes, and it works so well. And it kind of made me think of, like, old anime stuff. And I don't read a lot of old anime stuff, but it's the type of artwork that popped in my head when I first... Well, and he gets away with pages. making a, you know, interesting look to the backgrounds. You know, he'll have, instead of just a gray background, he'll kind of etch away, almost like what you would do with a good screen tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and create, uh, you know, the the sort of faded look of clouds in the background, or maybe some mountains or something like that. And he he does a lot of really cool sort of negative space work with the grays in the backgrounds that adds a surprising amount of detail to it, which works really cool. So that all being said, I, I do think that the Western uh, atmosphere lends itself to that type of artwork because planes, you know, they're they can be very simple to draw, yeah. um, and which makes them really hard to draw. That's true. You know, I can always, whenever I think of big open spaces without a lot of foliage, without a lot of buildings or cars or, you know, any kind of landmarks, I always think of Dragon Ball by Akira Toriyama. And you look at the fights that they have out in the freaking desert, and he manages to make a convincing, satisfying... Yep, that's a background. Yep, that's where they are. I'm not distracted by this at all. Let's get back to the fight, which is what comics are about. The background's not supposed to distract you. And he does, but it's insane because if you really look at it, like he easily spends way more time on these supposedly relatively simplistic backgrounds than the characters. The characters are way more cartoony and simplified. They're described with way less very economical lines. And then there's all this little careful detail work in the background to make it look just like a flat just rocky plain. And I think something similar goes along here. He's a little more economical than Tor- Toriyama, but, you know, Toriyama's a god. But uh, it's, I agree. I like the backgrounds a lot in this. I think that it's its very successful. It's sort of sparse. But I think that the word that comes to mind for me is economical, not empty or lazy, you know? Yeah, see, I think it's brilliantly lazy, I'm going to say. <laughs> Marcus is like, ah. Because that's, that, that's what those I are do. Techniques I must steal. I, exactly. I'm going to learn from it, and I'm going to get lazier until I'm just a big blob on a couch someday. That's my aspirations and goals. Well, you know, it's interesting when you get real far away, the backgrounds anyway. When you when they get far enough away from the from the you know the viewer, basically, they do lose a ton of detail. But that works because that's what happens in real life. You know, you almost get kind of a haze over things when they get far enough away, and the the detail level drops pretty dramatically. But, you know, there are scenes like the scene when he's I'm looking at there's a full splash page of him coming into town and there's all kinds of detail on the horse, on him, on the ground and the tumbleweeds right by him, on the buildings and the woodwork, all of that coming into the town. But then the background of the uh, the sky and the clouds and the mountain range is just kind of like three lines, just kind of just really quick and swiggly and fast. You know what I mean by, by not a whole lot of detail? I don't mean to say that it is not detailed and that it uh, it didn't take time for him to make. What I mean to say is that it has a sort of almost cartoony feel, like you said earlier, that, I f- that looks like it could be American cell animation. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay. It's not, uh, it's not super, super complex in that it, uh, it feels un- unaccessible. Yeah, it's representational. It represents what it's supposed to be. Like a good cartoon does. It doesn't describe all the little painstaking detail. Actually, when the horse walks into town, Bethel actually points this out himself. The horse's, the color of the horse's mane changes. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. The horse's mane change colors. Deal with it. <laughs> I was like, sold. Prime's like, I like this guy. Like the cut of his jib. That's right. Isn't that a thing? That's a thing. That's a thing. That. Okay, good. You can't just thing. make up things. What is a jib anyway? Part of a boat. Deal with it. Is that true? Is it? You know what? You're such a bad. <laughs> you are a bad person. Anyhow, um, I also love his character design in this. Yes. Um, from his, you know, death character in the beginning of the book to oh, even right. even to Long John, like the the protagonist has such a beautifully squared, strong jaw. 
Um, and I think one of the high points for Long John is his his perpetual hat hair, even though he hasn't had a hat on for a while. <laughs> exactly. It, you know, awesome. Every character looked unique. It was never a, a problem where I'm like, that looks like every other person that I've it's seen on the next Super distinct. Stage. Super distinct. And not in, not distinct by the clothes they wear or the hairstyle they have, but by like the actual structure of the face, of the body type. Like it's distinct. And I feel like was even able to accomplish, you know, adding personality through their physical type. Oh, totally. Like I could, you, you could tell who the villains are. I'm like, oh, that person's not good. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, Long John is the s- strong, silent type. And that kind of is portrayed with how he carries himself and, and what he looks like. Yeah, there's actually something when you first meet Long John, he's got a cut over his eye. And so, like, the half of his left side of his face, I believe, mm-hmm. is covered in blood. And if you've ever seen pictures of people like that, or be it, you know, animated or actually in real life kind of a thing, they have such an intense look in that eye. That's, yeah. that's, it's almost it's like framed in black. Yeah. It's framed in black, and so it's absolutely amazing. And it totally gives Long John a completely different look. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he looks really intense early on, mm-hmm. and after he wipes the blood off of his face, not as much, but he's still a big dude. See, that was actually one of my two small artwork gripes. Um, in that, in the beginning, when he looked like that, I um, I immediately thought it was a scar or some sort of burn oh, or something yeah. like that. I didn't buy that it was I, not that I didn't buy. Um, I didn't get that it was blood. Yeah, it did look a little weird. I will say that. Well, it wasn't. I think maybe possibly that it wasn't solid black. It had texture in it. Yeah, which made me think that it was like bumpy scar tissue. Sure. And you know, yeah, I'm I mean, a big he definitely fan. chose with his flats, even the hair for John to, uh, I guess, maintain or or hold on to the the texture that just comes from naturally just brushing in something. You know, when you when you draw you know, the line art by paper and you ink it in, there's texture in the, fl- in the flat blacks. There are. And, or there is. And he left it in there on purpose. And I think it, it's kind of nice because, yes, at times it does, it did make that particular piece a little more confusing. If it was all solid blacks, you might have immediately more likely bought into the idea, oh, that's that's got to be blood. But I like that he left in some of the... um inconsistencies and you know texture things that come from actually inking by hand because yeah. then it's almost like him it's almost like him kind of being like flying his flag and being like I did this by hand it's not all on the computer I couldn't just press control Z when I made an ink line I didn't like I had to live with it or white it out you know and there's there's a uh, there's a particular sort of charm that comes from things that are done by hand. And I personally prefer them, even though I, a lot of the time, will work completely digitally because I'm you know, in a rush or something like that. I respect and appreciate artistically a great deal more things that are done by hand. And so even if a portion, like this comic, uh, of the comic was done by hand, because the, the actual, the grays, that was done on the computer. But a substantial, way over half of the, of the art was done by hand, on paper, with pen, pencil, ink. And I kind of like that he maintained that, I guess all this is to say, that I like that he maintained that texture in the flat blacks, because it's a way for him to basically state boldly, this is done by hand. This is done ink, paper, pen, pencil, for realsies, you know? And I kind of like that. I like that. When something comes out like that, and it, it actually kind of flies his flag, and it's like, no, this is how I did it. I did it the traditional way. I like that. We Especially probably also say that this is a black and white comic. Well, it's you- almost like a sapia it looked the almost every picture in here it has that vibe of the old west pictures that you can take at like marine world or some theme park with your family and you take those goofy old sepia pictures like it looks like that this comic has that sort of vibe every single page and so it's almost as if someone was following him around taking snapshots of his terrible day (laughs) in in you know technology of the time i love it i thought it was a really I thought that color-wise, artistically, tone-wise, it just fit. The only other small gripe that I had was there's a couple of frames um, where he decides to uh, leave a, um, something just stark white with uh, with a colored something in the background that didn't it just didn't work for me. It, mm-hmm. it totally pulled me out. It looked for like, like clouds or no for the character. There's like at least two frames. Oh where yeah, he yeah, does yeah, it. yeah. Especially the, the the skinny guy who's the who's the guy who's like you know. 
Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. One of the big main bad guys that has like the big overcoat and the wide brimmed hat. And it it made me think that it it looked unfinished. Yeah, it didn't. It I, made him stand out. Definitely, but made it him stand didn't out, necessarily but... make him stand out in a a good way. It a made way him that stand out kind of like, oh, did he not get colored? Like, why is there no shadow on him? But I don't know. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I can agree with that. I think one thing that I really liked a lot about the art was pretty much the entire sequence where Long John is in the prison or in the, I guess, the sheriff's office slash cell yeah, thing, jail cell. you know, where he's having conversation with the with the sheriff. Not only is that conversation excellent, but the actual art for that is great because there's a lot of use of negative space, a lot of use of of uh, of shadows and silhouettes and things like that. That's just masterful. You know, he actually has this great scene where the pretty much the entirety of the page or the entirety of that panel is black and the bars are black. And there's like a little a little kind of show, you know, an image of John on the bottom, I want to say right side. And there's a silhouette, a black silhouette of the sheriff leaning against the bars talking to him. But the silhouette is shaded in with pen touches. And so there's a little bit of a variance between that and the flat blacks and you can tell who's who but it's all in shadow and it just was really cool and i saw that and i was like man i don't know if i would have gone with that without actually having tested it you know or see, having seen it work it's like a risk that paid off oh it yeah. totally totally, totally paid off. yeah but i mean it's great because it allows for there to be more i mean again again and again and again it works really well for there to be this a strong silhouette for a character a recognizable silhouette for a character and he managed to pull that off with a character that's there for oh five pages, maybe out of the you know almost thirty pages that it, that is the first issue. But he managed to use silhouettes of characters with silhouettes, like artistically cool silhouettes of like a background at the same time. It just I don't know. I was really impressed with that sequence. Artistically, it's just really excellent. It does some interesting kind of abstract things with light and shadow and stuff. It's very cool. So my experience in reading this book um, might be different than other people's experience because I did it on my phone, first of all. Um, I went to the website, and the first thing that pops up is the most recent page, which is that gorgeous splash page oh, right? of Long John. Sons of bitches. bitches. It's just uh, By the way, that's so the greatest good. way to name. <laughs> like The first issue is called Sunza. And you don't really know why until the last page where he's all sons of bitches. It is just a, a really, really great, great looking it's a great, page. There are several splash pages that are just off the hook in one issue. And we don't normally get that many splash pages in an issue, but this one has like five and, and like three of them are excellent. Just a little fun thing, that sons of bitches page sure. on the little title tag, he says, I really should have put the quote by the horse because the horse looks really angry in that <laughs> yeah <laughs> man those last those last like maybe five pages that sequence wow oh, so good i don't want to give it up in some ways it gave me a feel of quickly down under yeah that's a good movie all right well any final thoughts about the art and the story in general you guys and i think that you know wrapping up i, I enjoy the hell out of it i, I way highly really, recommend really checking it out yeah i'd recommend checking it out also if you're an artist or a writer or a creator I really highly recommend checking out his notes underneath each page. There's yeah. a lot of really good information in there. Yeah, he's a good guy. He's, I mean, first time we were ever at a convention doing press stuff. Stockton Con, right? At Stockton Con. And he was the only one at the table. And uh, he was really a neat guy and really enjoyed conversations. Very articulate and intelligent and just had, had a way of explaining his craft and chatting about it that was very approachable and real and cool. And I just... I enjoyed his company. I've enjoyed his comics ongoingly. And this new one is a step up from anything we've seen yet, which is impressive considering what we saw before was, you know, pretty, pretty much kind of hovering around the top of, of the indie comics we'd seen. So very cool stuff. Way worth checking out, especially because it's completely free. Stay tuned to pandamanga.com for any kind of updates about potential, you know, crowdfunding stuff he might be doing because he's hit issue one. So he might be looking for a little little support, a little love to get some funding going for the first issue. And so I'm sure that uh, something like that will probably be coming down the pipe sooner or later. And we'll, we'll find out about that as we go on. We will definitely make sure to support uh, Bethel and his, his ongoing project with Long John. I'm looking forward to coming back and talking about issue two when that's all finished up. And I want to say it comes back, I want to say in January, something like that. Taking a little hiatus between issue one and issue two right now. Anyway, so are we feeling complete? I think so. Yeah. Good. 
All right. Well, thanks for listening to Geek Life. We always love to hear from our listeners. Please email us at geeklife at pandamanga.com with your questions, comments, and insights. Anyone interested in becoming a PM contributor can visit our contact page at contact.pandamanga.com and complete the form located there. We also have a handy-dandy form for you on the actual podcast page at podcast.pandamanga.com. Just look on the right side in the column there. You should be able to find a nice, easy way to get a hold of us there. Music has been provided by AirPlus Recordings. As always, links to the artists and songs featured on this episode are available in the show notes at podcast.pandamanga.com. If you'd like more information about AirPlus Recordings, visit airplusrecordings.com. This is Marcus. Go read some comics. I just kept talking throughout the day and my coworker was getting really annoyed with me. And I developed this character who loves to talk about the, um, Breaking Bad, but clearly has no idea what the show's about. <laughs> and be like, you know that show that I like, Breaking of the Bad, where the guy's the teacher and he talks about science. I love it. <laughs> so good. Had They're always selling marijuana. <laughs> yeah, no.